I've spent the last 30 years of my life as a dental professional, not just cleaning teeth, but educating patients about their oral health and how it's connected to their overall health. It wasn't until I got divorced and started working with a mobile dental company traveling to schools that I saw with my own eyes how bad the cavity situation actually is amongst our children. And it's heartbreaking to me, especially knowing dental disease is 100% preventable with proper daily home care. I've made it my mission to bring awareness to how we can change our mindset about our mouths and establish healthy habits that will keep our kids engaged and empower families to take the chore out of daily brushing and create fun memories and cavity-free kids. My name is Sherry Wirtz, and this is Healthy Mouth Movement 411. Join me and be part of the solution. Together, we can battle plaque and make a difference. Welcome back to the Healthy Mouth Movement. We have Dr. Sherry Sammy. She is founder of Happy Kids Dental Planet, co-founder of Beehive Integrative Medical Center and Dental Center of Agora Hills, California. She has a degree in spiritual psychology, and she has a practice that does total body wellness. And she talks about how your mouth is connected to jaw, airway, and how it's connected to your body. Subtle changes in your body are a catalyst to help you prevent other problems that are often misdiagnosed in our kids. She has an integrative approach that includes airway evaluation, alignment, and she sees dramatic results with ADHD, bedwetting, mouth breathing, and changing behavioral habits. She's also founder of the Love Button Global Movement. That's a nonprofit organization that helps with acts of kindness. Dr. Sammy, thanks for being with us again today and sharing your knowledge and expertise. It's such a pleasure to be with you again. I'm looking forward to our talk. Me too. So after the last episode, we had a lot of listeners ask questions about what they can do at home to prevent cavities with their kids. And then you had also mentioned something about you don't have as many cavities in your practice. And they were wondering how that is and what they can do and what questions they can ask their dentist so they can experience the same things that you're experiencing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, let's start by um, talking about the approach of looking for symptom versus looking for a cause. I think most of traditional medicine and dentistry is um, symptom-based. So, for example, you go for um, you know um, stomach acid reflux, and then your your physician looks at you and they said, "Oh, okay, take this medicine to take the reflux away." Um, and then what happens, you're taking the reflux by reducing the acid, but then you're creating a vitamin B deficiency because if you don't have the acidity, then something else goes wrong. The same thing happens, in my opinion, in dentistry. We're looking at um, basically like looking at symptoms. So whether it's a cavity or a crowded teeth, all we're doing is just we're treating the symptom. So if you uh, treat the cavity by you know, you go to your dentist, they say you have 17 cavities or three cavities or whatever it is, you know, um, and then I'll, and the, the, the only solution that they offer is basically, well, just kind of, you know, treatment plan you and you're going to come on this time and this time and this time I'm going to fill your cavities. They might ask you about, oh, what's the num you know, amount of sugar that you're eating and maybe that's like the cause of your cavities, May, um, you know, um, how frequently you're eating, and maybe that's the cause of your cavities. Uh, what I have noticed over the years, it's not that simple. You know, body is not that simple. The um, reductionistic thing that sugar equals cavity is not that simple. You and I, we both know people that they might eat a lot of sugar, 
never brushed their teeth and they still have never had a cavity in their lives. And there are people who are brushing seven times a day and eating super healthy and like not eating that much sugar. And every single time that they come in, they have a cavity. So um, over the years, I've been very, very curious about, um, especially since I have a holistic practice and extremely mindful parents that they really, really care about like organic food and, you know, the variety of um, food that they're giving to their kids. And so, and then they they do the toothbrushing and all of that stuff. So I've been looking at uh, things deeper than sugar equal cavity or no brushing equal cavity. So um, some of the stuff that, that uh, and I'm not saying that sugar does not create cavity. Yes, it does. To it. <laughs> sugar creates cavity and everything else inside your, your body because sugar increases the amount of inflammation that, it, that, it, uh, that is present in your body. It actually feeds the, um, the bacteria, the growth of the bacteria and the yeast and the uh, viruses that they are they are present, you know the bad bacteria and everything. So um, it changes completely the microbiome of your mouth, which transfers to the microbiome of your uh, intestinal tract, and it changes the microbiome of your lungs. You know that we're recently kind of discovering. So um, sugar is bad by all uh, ends, but. I'm just bringing forward that it's not the only cause for the cavity. So what are some of the things that I have seen that can cause cavities? Um, some of the things that I have seen is that the lip tie, you know, so underneath your, your lips, um, you have a, a tie, like it's like a basically frenulum. You might be familiar with it. Um, we have seven fren uh, frenums or frenulums. One, um, underneath this cheek, one, you know, here, another one on this side, down here, you know, underneath this lip, uh, and this side, and then underneath your tongue, so the tongue tie. I have noticed that people that they have lip tie, tongue tie, or even cheek ties, we call them buckle ties, they actually have a lot more propensity to have cavities. Why is that? Because our tongue does a lot of self-cleansing. If you notice, like after you have food, you know, in your, uh, let's say like, you know, in a fancy restaurant, what is, what is your tongue automatically doing? Going on like around and trying to clean things and trying to kind of like get that one piece of thing that is stuck between the teeth, you know? So, and this is automatic. This is natural. All of us, we do it naturally. Kids and adults that they have tongue ties and lip ties, they don't have the same mobility. On the upper lip, I have noticed that like the, the lip basically sits on some of these um, upper lip ties that they cover the teeth a lot. Some of them, they actually pull the whole upper jaw down. So like they have a very gummy smile, but um, which kind of creates another issue that I'm going to talk about. But some of them that they're covering the, 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 um, the upper teeth, it's sitting on that all the time and it increases the plaque level. So looking at upper tie, lip ties, you know, or buckle ties, you know, cheek side ties, it's really important. And then maybe we can have another session together and teach parents how to actually look at, look for them because so many uh, practitioners, unfortunately, they still don't know how to do it. And they go, so they go to their dentist and they look at it, they're like, yeah, you don't have it. And 
I have seen more than, you know, I can't even like 10,000 of them that they have come from another practitioner is like, no, something's not right. And then, you know, I looked and it was a, not a, even a borderline tie. It was like a really, really significant tie. And I've actually posted some pictures on my Instagram because it was, a, you know, Instagram page because it was, it's so significant, but it's being missed. So um, that's one of the things that I have found. Second thing is mouth breathing. So if you are breathing through your mouth, and ironically, actually, May is the Mouth Breathing Awareness Month. So this is a good time for us to have this, this conversation. Mouth breathing, what does mouth breathing do? It dries out of- tissues. Okay. Yeah, it, it dries out your tissues and um, it, your saliva is reducing. So then it's not bathing your teeth. Exactly. And, and our saliva has so many yummy enzymes and anti-cavity enzymes, right? right? So when it's drying it out and it's basically trying to, um, you know, get enough oxygenation at the same time, because when you mouth breathe, you actually tend to get less oxygenation than when you nose breathe. It's your tonsils are trying to do the job of the cilia of the nose. So they actually get really swollen and they try to kind of filter the air. And so mouth breathing, and then it also changes completely the bacteria on your mouth because we have a certain amount of what they call anaerobic versus aerobic bacteria that this balance between the two anaerobic, that means they don't need oxygenation. So they're under the gum. And then the aerobic means like they need oxygenation. So they're over the gum. Um, and there is a certain level of bacteria and microbiome that it's necessary for, um, for the mouth, you know, to keep a healthy mouth, as well as to keep a healthy uh, bacterial load for the rest of our body. I see so many people that they just take bacteria for their gut health. And then meanwhile, like their mouth uh, biome is completely messed up. And then so they're swallowing that all day long. And no matter how much probiotic they take for their gut health, their mouth is not really supporting those those um, probiotics. And so it's important to take when you are taking probiotics, you take something that is for the mouth as well as for your gut health. So when you're changing that, that nice balance by mouth breathing, then it creates like um, a, basically a distortion and then it's not any more protective. Everything in our body, if you actually know, uh, you know, think about it, it already has a mechanism in order to perfectly bring us back to health right? We have like a baby, if you kind of think about it, like they have a perfectly balanced, you know, microbiome in the mouth, in the gut, in the, like all of those things. However, for example, if the mom's health wasn't, wasn't uh, ideal, then the microbiome in the gut changes. If the baby was not, uh, you know, uh, birthed through the birth canal, they're not getting all this yummy, amazing, you know, in, incredibly useful uh, bacteria that they need to have in order to have their gut health, you know. So C-section babies, they have a very different microbiome than regular babies. And that's why sometimes they actually take some, it might sound a little crazy and a little disgusting, but they actually, with the C-sections now, some of the more advanced and integrative physicians, they're actually advising to take a little bit of a thesis of the mom and just basically like go all over 
the baby's body in order to give like cover the entire body with some of that. And then that, that would add to the microbiome of the baby that it was C-section instead of coming through the canal. So there is all kinds of stuff that you're looking at that um, in terms of getting that aspect. The other thing is like, for example, kids that they have allergies, you know, um, if they have allergies, like, again, they have like nose, they're not nose breathing most of the time, they're mouth breathing. A lot of times they're on medications that they are suppressing their own immune system, changing the microbiome of the, of the mouth and creating an imbalance of things that it's not necessarily uh, the best thing. That's why we have a lot more natural options such as uteco breathing, you know, different breathing mechanisms that they, they can actually um, learn that would change that allergy in a significant way. Also homeopathy. There's so many other things that it's available for allergy than, than just allergy medicine, which suppresses the symptom, but it doesn't necessarily cure the allergy. Um, so when you're looking at things, I mean, these were just a few things, you know, that, that we look at um, to look at the cause, you know, the other aspect of it is I actually have the parents to write me uh, one or two weeks, depending on, uh, on, the, on the patient, um, of food diary. So I'm not just looking for the sugar. I'm looking at, are they getting enough medium chain fatty acids, you know, like good fats? Are, are they getting uh, enough vegetables? Are they getting enough fibers? Do they have enough zinc in their, in their, um, um, in their food? Do they, are they getting enough seleniums? Are they getting enough K2, D3, you know, whether through, you know, their activities, their food, or um, actually taking supplementations, you know? So I'm looking at a variety of things in order to be able to look at what is the cause that they have the cavity beyond just sugar equal cavity. Um, and then creating that healthier body, not just because you know, this as I think we talked about it in our last thing, but this and your anus, basically there were one, you know, tube that just grew two different directions. So when you actually look at the mouth, you need to look at the rest of the body, the digestive tract, like, you know, even like I asked things like, you know, does your child get frequent eczema? Is there any food sensitivities that you notice? And, uh, and not just allergies, not something that they just blow up, but sensitivities, you know, the ones that they, they might be like regurgitating a little bit or a silence reflux, you know, after they have a certain food. And we know that we see that when in people, when they show up and we see a lot of like little pits on their teeth, you know, um, and so those pits, they accumulate a lot more bacteria, a lot more plaque. And then guess what? Before you know it, they start trying, they start um, turning into cavities. Um, also, the other part that I see is that um, when they have a little bit of a reflux, sometimes they start grinding at nighttime. To me, grinding is very little has to do with stress and very big time has to do with airways. So, um, you know, we look at some of those aspects as well. And a lot of the dentists I've worked for tell the parents that they'll outgrow that. And I just yes. kind of cringe. No, 
No, no. Unfortunately, uh, the airway, it just turns to a different, you know, in a different way. You know, most of the people, like, when they look at tonsils, they're like, yeah, you know, they're, they're just going to lose that as they grow up. Yes, they're going to lose that as they grow up. But then also, it's going to turn to a, I look at tonsils as an extension of our lymphatic system. So the lymphatics, they get clogged up in other uh, places. You know, if you look at some of like, if you actually press on the neck area or like here, you know, in most of these children, even though they took the tonsils out, they again treated just a symptom. They didn't treat the cause, you know. Second thing is they don't have the tonsils coming back, but they have a lot of lymph nodes that, uh, that they get um, really swollen. Um, this is, this is, this was an, there was an interesting um, study from China that looked at 40,000 women, you know, throughout their lives, and they correlated a higher breast cancer, um, um, a, a breast cancer occurrence with uh, girls that they had large tonsils in earlier on in life. So when you're looking at things, I'm not looking at it with like, oh yeah, if you have large tonsils, it's gonna turn to breast cancer. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that like basically like looking at the tonsils as an extension of your lymphatics, you have to make sure that you are treating the tonsil as one of the parts and you're truly taking care of it rather than just kind of pushing it down to the next level so the body is like still kind of like the freeway jam in Los Angeles that it's still all stuck in there. <laughs> so, and it's not really emptying out. So looking at like the whole picture of the, of the child or the adults and having that to be your platform and then just keep asking why, 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 why is this like, why does this look like that? Why does that look like that? And then just having a, a, bigger picture in mind than just the mouth um, or just even physicality you know sometimes like kids with a lot of anxiety what does that what does happen it's first of all like they tend to have a lot of restrictions in their jaw they keep like you know holding it if you actually as a hygienist you probably know those people that yeah that you put their finger in in the front part of their lip and you know, like this is so activated, this mentalis is so activated and they keep pushing your, your, your um, finger out. So you have so much reflex and a lot of those people, they have anxiety, you know, very, very subtle and yet profound anxiety that pushes everything back, obstructs the airway. So emotions can play a lot of, you know, um, a lot of um, importance in the whole aspects of you know, cavity inflammations in the in the body, inflammations in the mouth, breathing dysregulations, sleep issues. You know, all of those things that um, that are that is important to know. And I've been teaching parents to actually get a flashlight and lift their kids' lips up and have them stick out their tongue. And can they touch their nose? And can they touch their chin? And you know, look at their tonsils. Do they look like they're close to touching? Can you see them? Because yeah. I most parents we don't we don't teach parents to do that. We definitely don't teach them in a dental office. I mean, I look at those things, but not yeah. everyone does. And we're not teaching parents that. There's not a class out there that's saying, hey, these are the things you should be looking at. And you could intercept it earlier and maybe your child won't have some of these things or have to be on medication that then transitions into something else when they get older that's more costly healthcare-wise. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because these things, they get more and more complex and more and more subtle, you know, so sometimes they turn all the way into autoimmune system, you know, diseases, or they turn into that constant, like, uh, you know, GI disturbances and um, so many different things, you know, and constant mental illness, you know, and mental health issues. So there is a, there is a lot of things that I think that we need to be looking at and, and learn as dentists and hygienists and healthcare workers, you know, from all walks of life, actually. Mid, uh, my next course, I'm hoping to start teaching the midwives and the doulas um, to actually detect freedom issues, you know, because a lot of them, they don't. I had a, um, yesterday was a very hard day for me because I had a three weeks uh, baby that was not feeding at all, not, was not breastfeeding, wasn't bottle feeding. And um, what, and he was only six pounds, six, 6.2 pounds, very lethargic. Um, wasn't really like interested, you know, failure to thrive. And he, mom had been to about four or five um, pretty substantial like, you know, lactation consultants and midwives. Um, and, you know, although they're like, yeah, he might have a tongue tie, might have a lip tie. Actually, his tongue tie was, was released in the hospital, but they just did a little clipping of the... Um, uh, with a scissor and humbly based on my experience that's never enough you know it might you know some a lot of times it helps with the breastfeeding but it doesn't necessarily help with the growth and development of the face because behind every tongue tie we always say behind every tongue tie in the front there's a tongue tie in the back so posterior tongue tie we call it and whenever they do the the, the scissor release they create more scar tissue and they don't necessarily release the posterior tongue tie because it creates a lot, it's a bloody mess if you want to do it with the scissor. So they just kind of like clip the front part and it's still not, they haven't solved the issue. And with this, laser is better, correct? Yeah, well, in, in, in those cases, I mean, I know some people right. that they have, they do it with the, um, with the scissor, but they go all the way down and they create the bloody mess and all of those things. And then they control the, the, the bleeding and everything. But I think I have found for kids, for babies at least, the laser is a much more um, complete release if you know how to release it properly um, and, and also bring that. And I wanted to say something in, in addition to the brilliant uh, suggestion that you had, when they stick their tongue out and up to the roof of their mouth, put two fingers and actually hold the floor of the mouth um, and then see how much now they can lift up their tongue. Why? Because a lot of people, if they're a little bit older, they actually compensate and they lift up the entire floor of the mouth in order to reach the, the, the palate. So they can still reach the palate, but they are using all of these muscles. Like you, you see like some people like lift up the tongue their tongue up, you see like literally like all of these muscles, they become really apparent and they're, they're using it in an improper way. So those are some of the things that it's like very simple to learn. And then also like when you're going, just kind of like go around inside, you know, between the cheek and the gum, you know, it's called the vestibule um, and just go in there and you can feel like sometimes that the tissue, it's almost like a guitar string. 
-hmm. You don't want a guitar string. You want like a continue because the guitar string is creating a tension and it creates the cross bites that we see sometimes is because of some of those buckle ties. You know, one side hasn't grown to, uh, as much as the other side. So it kind of starts becoming crooked and they, they bite like on top of each other instead of, you know, um, on the outside, like the upper jaw being the, the outside of the lower teeth. So these are, these are very subtle things, but they're very important information about what's happening. Well, and then also when they have that tie done, they really should follow up with an oral facial myologist or someone that can teach you the exercises to remove that scar tissue that builds up. Because sometimes depending on how it's clipped, if they aren't really knowledgeable in that, it reattaches a little bit or they leave a little bit of tissue um, in there. So it's good to get that looked at before they get too far down and you can kind of loosen that up a little bit with exercises. Yeah, I actually make my, my uh, patients to do two things, you know, one, before any tongue ties uh, being released in my office, at least, they have to get craniosacral or osteopathic adjustments. Why? Because we have seen, like, I, I'm sure you guys have seen, like, babies that they turn, like to turn one side versus the other. So they have a little bit torticollis or like a strain on one side of the neck. And research at um, actually my, my school, my alma mater, Columbia, they, they did this research where they look at the relationship with, with torticollis um, or neck issues and how the tongue reattaches. The side of the torticollis, it basically the opposite side, the, neck, the tongue reattaches much more strongly than the other side. So it creates an asymmetry in the, um, in the tongue. So if, you know, I remember a few years ago, there was a mom that um, was of a certain religious belief system that she didn't believe in going to any doctors, any health healing professionals, you know, and she said the only reason that she came to see me was because first of all, she heard that I'm holistic. And then second of all, because like her baby was not breastfeeding and in her religion, giving, um, you know, formula is not an option. And I told her, I said, you know, you have like your baby because of the long time that being stuck in the, um, in the canal, it, it, she has a lot of strains in her body. She needs to be treated by a craniosacral therapist and osteopath before, you know, I can release the tongue tie. And she's like, I'm sorry, like my religion does not allow that. And, um, and I had to, you know, I said, like, I just feel like I will do more damage for your child than good if I, in terms of like the growth and development of your child, if I do this. And there's so many people that they would do it without even mindfulness of this, you know, so you can go to so many of these. I'll give you the, the referrals, you know, of people that they don't, they don't, you know, ask you to do any exercises. They don't, they don't ask you to do, to go to a body worker, you know, like, or osteopath or a craniosacral therapist, and they'll just do it, you know, they'll just clip it for you. But I think that in all, you know, my, my consciousness and the deepest caring that I have for your child, I can't do it without that because there's too much stuff that is going to kind of go in the wrong direction afterward. And then, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is I have a pretty rigorous, actually, like, you know, five to seven times a day um, of rehabilitating and relearning and stretching and all of those things even for babies, you know, because it does, as you mentioned, it does reattach. Uh, and if you're not doing it properly, then it just creates a lot more scar tissue. Then, then now you have to go and redo it with the scar tissue, which 
trust me it's it's a it's a it's a very challenging thing i have a i have a um oral surgeon in the neighborhood that i work with that he just kind of takes his scalpel and you know opens the tongue and he creates so much scar tissue and then after that and you know and he doesn't require them to do any any kind of myofunctional or any kind of stretching and i have re-released a lot of his tongue uh, phrenectomies and it's so challenging because not only you have this scar tissue but also you have a often you have a lot of emotions that they're stuck in those scar tissues you know the body bears the trauma so when you release those like sometimes like crazy monsters they come out for a few days you know people that are like i can't believe this is my child you know I'm like yeah there's a lot of trauma that was stuck in there and um, and the body, it just held on to it. So this is a good thing because the trauma is being released and, or you just got to have to hold for, for your child during this period while it's releasing it. But it, they're much more challenging afterward with all the scar tissue created. Yeah. And that's why sometimes exercises before and after are important, yeah. not yes. just, okay, you have this, let's just snip it right here and take care of it. Sometimes you, you definitely need a little more, more is involved in order for it to work properly. Well, for anyone who's not a baby, I, you have to do the exercises before the tongue tie release. I haven't found that as necessary in the upper tie release, but for the tongue tie, you have to train the tongue. Otherwise, like the tongue doesn't have the tonicity and then you have to release too much, you know, because it's, it hasn't really created the right muscles, you know, it's been compensating. Um, and the, I feel like the front, you know, I, and you have to remember, like, it's, I've been doing it with my own two kids, you know, like my son, who's going to turn 13 next month, he had a significant tongue tie and lip tie. And I, you know, I had no clue about any of these things, because even though I went to two great, amazing top of the, you know, uh, United States kind of uh, best schools, it still didn't teach me about these things. Um, so here I am, a brand new mom, and I'm like, why is my baby not breastfeeding? And everybody, 17 practitioners later, from lactation consultants to midwives to pediatricians to the ENTs, you know, all kinds of different things, like, yeah, it's just, you don't have enough milk, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, why don't you put the kid on the, on formula? And ironically, a year before that, I was a fellow for American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. And I did some research on those formulas. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. You know, I'm not putting my kid on a formula if I can help it. And so, you know, it kind of brought me in and I, you know, we released it with a mentor of mine that I had at the time and uh you know literally within 24 hours so much changed for both of us you know i mean he started breastfeeding i wasn't like being tortured every time he put his his mouth on my on my nipples and and just so much changed in that sense and you know a knock on the wood like i have to say like neither one of my kids they have ever had a cavity um you know and and sometimes you know you know how like the shoemaker sometimes forgets about her own kids, you know, <laughs> so I'm not like, oh, every three months or six months, you know, I have to like give them a cleaning. I mean, we do the, the toothbrushing and everything, but 
um, you know, it's not because of certain stuff. And my kids, they have healthy sugars, you know, they have sugars that they are, you know, from um, fruit extracts, you know, they have a lot of fruits, they have once in a blue moon, they have, and we, we don't do any gluten, for example, because I believe that gluten and dairy, at least in the United States, cow dairy, it creates a lot of inflammation in the body. So we don't do that at all in our house. I let them, if they go to a birthday party, to have it because I don't want to create food issues and, you know, that, that feeling of segregations for them. But, um, but on the most part, like, uh, you know, their, their diet is really clean. And I think that that plus everything else that you know we're looking at their whole body and both of my kids being released with the tongue tie and the lift tie my daughter her upper tie was really really tight to the point that she was breastfeeding like this the first couple of days and i had to call my assistant i'm like you're coming to my house bring my you know instruments we're doing it in the house because i can't even go one more day without like you know, doing this uh, breastfeeding like this. And, and it was just amazing, like how things change. And I'm 100% sure, had I not released her upper tie with that tight of a, you know, lip tie, she would have had all, you know, like the four upper teeth, they usually are the ones that they get a cavity in younger kids, you know, like right at the gum line or right in between the teeth or right behind the teeth. But these four, you know, are the most likely one that they will get out of the anterior teeth that they get a cavity and then on top and in the between the teeth are, are getting a cavity. So I think that that's a really important aspects to look at. And I'm so, so glad that we had an opportunity to talk about it. I am too. So thank you for being on. And then maybe we can get on another time and talk about xylitol. I don't know if you use that at all, but. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually use, I see, I see your xylitol in your background, actually. <laughs> yeah. I love xylitol about, um, how many, I think it was like 14 years ago. I came across this very thin uh, book. It must've been 40 pages that was written in 1930s about the benefits of xylitol. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, it was such a, a somebody gave it to me as a gift. And unfortunately somebody borrowed it and never brought it back. But um, I remember I was so fascinated with this book because it was talking about like, not just the anti-strep, um, uh, you know, benefits of xylitol, um, and as you know, cavity, it's a strep mutant. The bacteria is called strep mutant. So it's, it prevents the cavity as well as like the moisturizing aspects of xylitol, the antibacterial coating. Like, so when you coat your nose, you know, with the xylitol, it actually creates a coating that it prevents the bacterial and viruses to actually stay. Uh, and also it moisturizes and it allows the nose breathing to happen. So what I usually tell the parents with the same xylitol you have for the older kids, I like with the younger ones they, to just kind of do the drop ones. And you don't have to like push it all the way. You can just kind of put one here, one there. And then once the, the, the nose become moisturized, then you can actually go with one of those nose Frida and kind of like take all the boogers out of your baby's nose, you know. But with the, with the older one, I actually have an Instagram um, post that how to wash your nose because so many people, they don't know how to wash their nose. And then you take the xylitol and you actually spray it in your child's back of the throat. 
because um, strep throat is very common in children. And then there is an offside of the strep that is called panda. You know, it's considered an autoimmune that it's also been seen in children. And I think that that's, the, that's a regular practice that you can have that it's extremely useful. And I remember when my son was, I think he was seven, he was going to a, a small uh, elementary school that only had 144 kids. Out of this 144 kids, 130 of them, they had strep throat. And uh, my son was like the only one that didn't have it. So the principal was one of the very few one that didn't have it. Um, so when the principal called me to his, to his office and said, are you doing anything? That, and, and I would send my son to school. It wasn't like I kept him home or anything and didn't say, didn't give him, you know, special instructions about like, don't eat from your, you know, friends' lunch boxes, which is very common in kindergarten and first grade. Um, and they were, you know, he asked me, he says like, are you doing anything differently for your, for your son that, uh, that we're, we need to be aware of as a school? Because this strep problem is really, uh, it's, it's become like, you know, pandemic in, in our school. And I kind of thought about it because I couldn't think about it, like, what are we doing? And then all of us like, yeah, I'm spraying the xylitol in the back of his throat every single night, you know, since he was like born. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because over the years, you know, we didn't hear about xylitol 15, 20 years ago. We're hearing it probably the last two years in the common, um, you know, regular things. And, and most of it, we're hearing it in the gum, you know, like they put the xylitol in the gum, which I don't like that practice particularly because in order for you to be, to get enough xylitol, you need to actually have six to seven times a day that gum. And I know like people, they don't just kind of like take it for one, two minutes and spit their gum out. So they, they continue with that gum chewing, which is really bad for our TMJ and as well as it kind of creates this, you know, the masseter muscle gets really big, which I don't like it, especially in women. <laughs> so, so I don't like the, the gum chewing advice, you know, um, because it's most of the time people, they, they chew their gums much more than one or two minutes, you know, and um, six to seven times of gum chewing for that long, it's not the greatest thing. Also for your cavities, because you constantly, when you have things in your mouth, that's another thing actually, frequent snacking. So when you have constantly things in your mouth, not just snack, but like, for example, for us, like sometimes I have to catch myself because I might be like drinking my coffee for two hours, you know, like I go see a patient, I come back, I take a sip and I go see a patient and I come back and that continuously creates acids in your mouth, you know, so that's not the greatest thing in terms of, um, uh, you know, preventing cavities in your mouth. Water would be great if you were doing that. Yes, water. Yes, absolutely. Water would be amazing, actually. You have to have a lot of water, much more than you're thirsty for. Yes. So yes. Uh, when yes. you're thirsty, that means you're very, very dehydrated already. Yes, yes, it does. So I know that you need to go. So I want to say thank you for being on again. And it's always amazing having you. Um, good stuff. And uh, again, I hope that you know we can just talk more because there's so much that I think Absolutely. we could share and bring knowledge to help parents Absolutely. with their kids. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. It was lovely to speak with you. And if there was any questions, I'm, I'm here. I would love to be part of like, you know, having 
um, our kids in general, not just in terms of cavity, because I think cavity is the beginning of other things that it's in the body that might not be visible, you know, like the decalcifications and lack of, um, you know, lack of health in the inflammatory aspects of the, of the body. So I would love to be part of that, that we educate each other and, and bring forth more health for all of our kids and for ourselves. I agree. So thank you so much. And where would, where would they find you? They can go to your website, correct? They can go. Well, actually my website right now, it's being, um, you know, revamped a little bit. Um, so my Instagram is very active. Dr. Sherry Sammy, D-R-S-H-E-R-R-Y-S-A-M-I. So that's a, that's a very, I'm really active in Instagram. We also have a Facebook, um, uh, group that we have started. It's called Conscious Chit Chat. And we put a lot of, you know, materials, not just about the mouth, but about so many things, mind, body, spirit, you know, all kinds, all aspects of being a healthy person in within that, but mostly about like parents, you know, so that's, that's what we focus on. That's awesome. Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a blessed day and looking forward to being together again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Healthy Mouth Movement. Together, we can reduce dental disease. Yes, it is a disease. Cavities, gum disease, and gingivitis are all preventable, but only by you at home. Together, we can engage our kids and create good oral health habits because a healthy mouth is a healthy body and a healthy life.